The supermarket in my colleague Nazia Asaran's neighborhood is called Spinney's. Nazia lives in Beirut and covers Lebanon. And last week, he went to Spinney's to pick up some groceries. It's a pretty huge place. It's three stories and basically has everything you'd want to buy. Uh, it has a meat section, and a fish section, and an alcohol section. It's, it even has a section for, for lawn chairs. It's kind of like the Walmart of Lebanon. But there was something unusual about the scene at Spinney's. After his trip, Nazia told me about it. On Fridays, you'd expect people to be at the supermarket buying their essentials, gearing up for the weekend, buying what they need. But I went after people were let off of work, and it was basically almost empty, just because basic things like that are just beyond the reach of most people today. Groceries are out of reach for many Lebanese these days because the country is in the grips of hyperinflation. The value of the Lebanese lira has fallen more than 90% over the past two years. And that translates into eye-popping prices at Spinney's. I just finished my shopping and I just bought some very basic things, my, a, ch- a kilo of chicken, some cleaning items, uh, some bananas, some cold cuts, and some chocolate. And my bill came to almost a million three hundred Lebanese lira, which is the equivalent of the average monthly salary in Lebanon. Astonishing, unaffordable grocery bills are now common in Lebanon. The country is experiencing one of the worst economic breakdowns in modern history. The economy has pretty much collapsed and society along with it. According to the World Bank, the the economic crisis Lebanon is going through right now might be one of the top three worst economic crises the planet has seen in the past 150 years. In the span of a year and a half, Lebanon went from what could be described as a middle-income country into one of the worst economies in the world. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, August 11th. Coming up on the show, how Lebanon got itself into one of the worst economic collapses of the last century. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. In 1990, Lebanon ended a 15-year civil war, and afterward, the economy experienced an extended upswing. Before this economic collapse, what was Lebanon like, and what was its reputation like around the world? Lebanon was kind of the glitzy party capital of the Middle East. As a foreigner, you would come to Lebanon for a good time. Uh, Parties would go on until the break of dawn and then until the next day. There was a lot of economic uh, inequality in the country as well. You know, the rich were very rich and the poor were very poor. But uh, things like hunger were never an issue for people. It was a relatively middle-class economy, so to speak. One institution got a lot of credit for that middle-class economy, the country's central bank. Lebanon's central bank functions a lot like the Federal Reserve does in the U.S. It regulates Lebanon's banks, loans the government money, and oversees monetary policy. 
And for almost three decades, the central bank has been led by one man, Riyad Salemi. Riyad Salemi assumed leadership of the central bank in the 90s. And he's a former Merrill Lynch banker. And he was seen as kind of a national hero. And the cornerstone of Salemi's legacy was something called a currency peg. So there are two kinds of currencies in the world, floating currencies and pegged currencies. The value of a floating currency is determined by supply and demand. A pegged currency works differently. Its value is tied to the value of some other, often more stable currency. In Lebanon, that currency is the U.S. dollar. When Riyadh Salameh and the central bank instituted the peg, they decreed that one U.S. dollar would always be equal to about 1,500 Lebanese lira. The peg had a lot of benefits. It made it easy for Lebanese businesses to import goods from abroad. And it also helped stabilize Lebanon's currency during hard times. The country could be at war or facing a diplomatic crisis. And still, around 1,500 Lebanese lira would always equal one American dollar. So when the peg was put in place in 1997, that was actually hailed as a very uh, smart move because that gave confidence to investors who were, were very worried about the volatile currency. But for the Lebanese central bank to maintain the peg, it needed a big supply of dollars. That's because the Lebanese economy largely depends on dollars. When Lebanese importers import stuff into the country to sell, they often pay for that stuff in dollars. When there's a political crisis, say, people will rush to exchange their Lebanese lira for dollars. And it's the central bank's job to make sure that those dollars are always available for exchange at the pegged rate. That requires a lot of dollars. And for years, the central bank had those dollars. They flowed into Lebanon from two main sources. Lebanon has a very large diaspora around the world. So a lot of Lebanese would send their money back home or send their money back into the Lebanese banking sector because it always had high interest rates. So that attracted dollars from abroad. But also Lebanon's allies would step in and help the country with its dollar needs in times of crisis. So for example, in the 2006 war, Saudi Arabia plugged in billions of dollars into the central bank, which allowed the central bank to stabilize the currency. As long as U.S. dollars kept flowing into Lebanon, the system worked. People could exchange lira for dollars, importers could use those dollars to buy stuff. The economy chugged along. But then the dollars stopped flowing. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. About a decade ago, a couple things happened that turned the flow of U.S. dollars into Lebanon into a trickle. 
Lebanon's relationship with its Gulf allies became strained, and the Syrian war next door made it harder for Lebanon to export anything, which meant that Riyadh Saleme and the central bank needed to find a way to bring in a lot more dollars. And the solution they came up with was to borrow them from the Lebanese people. So how does that work? So in effect, what would happen is that my bank would come and tell me that if you send us uh, $500,000 and freeze it for three years, we're going to give you 20% interest on that. So I would be very happy with that because that would, that's a great return on my investment. 20% return just for storing money in a bank account? That is really high. And freezing it for two, three years. Some offers got as high as that. And, and so, you know, people obviously were more than happy to bring in their money and park it in Lebanon because it was essentially free money. So what would happen is I would bring in my, let's say, $1,000. I would give it to my bank, and they would give me 18%, 20% interest on that. Your bank would then turn around and lend your money to the Lebanese central bank with interest. So my bank made money, I made money, and we're all happy. This plan worked. U.S. dollars flowed into Lebanon's central bank. The catch was that the central bank was now going to have to pay interest on all of it in U.S. dollars. The key thing here is that the central bank is not the U.S. Federal Reserve, which means the Lebanese central bank does not have the right to print dollars. So the question becomes, where is the interest in dollars that the central bank is paying my bank? Where is that coming from? And the answer to that question turned out later on was that it was coming from new investors. So what you're saying is that the central bank was basically taking money from new investors to pay off old investors. Yeah, that's exactly it. And people in Lebanon, economists, coined this uh, ploy a Ponzi scheme. And I know French President Emmanuel Macron later called it a Ponzi scheme. Were there signals that what the central bank was doing could pose a threat to Lebanon's economy? So in the summer of 2019, the banking system started acting in a funny way. People found themselves not being able to withdraw all of their dollars from their accounts. People going to pay for their mobile phone bill found that they were being charged at a higher rate than the peg. So kind of all of the signs were there. And then in 2019, something happened to push the country into a full-blown financial crisis. It started with something small. The government announced that it would be imposing a tax on WhatsApp calls. And in response, the country erupted in protests. The protests weren't just about the tax. Nizia says they were a reaction to years of government mismanagement and corruption. What people were actually protesting were the political elite that came to power in the civil war and have clung to power since these protesters accused these, the political elite of sabotaging the economy, of destroying Lebanon's potential to have an industrial economy. And they accused their corruption of being the main driver behind Lebanon's economic stagnation. We are fed up with all this. We are here for the future of our kids. There's no future for us, no jobs at all. And this is not acceptable anymore. This moment would become a turning point for Lebanon's economy. During the protests, Lebanon's banks closed, citing security concerns. This meant that all over the country, everyday Lebanese people couldn't access their money. Only the richest, most well-connected people were reportedly able to. People had kind of lost faith in the system, and especially in the central bank, and they were scared because they could not access their money. When the banks reopened two weeks after the protests, Lebanon experienced a bank run. 
everybody went to the local bank to try to withdraw their money. But they were denied and people were locked out of their accounts by the banks and were limited to very small amounts, in some cases $200 a week. I imagine that people going to the bank and not being able to withdraw all their money must have just inspired panic among everybody else. What was it like on the streets at that point? People started attacking banks. People started attacking bank managers. We'd hear news reports of people going to bank managers' homes and threatening them. But also we saw people queuing up for hours and suffering in the, in the branches of banks. But the Lebanese always turned tragedy to comedy. So we, we started seeing people take their homework with them to banks. We started seeing, you know, Lebanese moms take their cooking utensils to the bank and chop some vegetables and make some salads while they're waiting. The Lebanese had a term for their money that was stuck in the banking system. They called them lollers, as in LOL. What did this moment mean for Lebanon's currency? In the period after the bank's closure, you kind of had two values emerge for the Lebanese lira in relation to the dollar. And the first one was DPEG, which was, you know, $1 equals 1,500 Lebanese lira. But another was the black market value of the dollar. Black markets emerged, where Lebanese could exchange their lira for dollars. On the black markets, the lira became exactly what the central bank had originally wanted to avoid. They became a floating currency, with their value determined by supply and demand. And as people's faith in the Lebanese banking system eroded, demand for the lira plummeted. Lira on the black market traded for less and less. Lebanon was experiencing hyperinflation. All of a sudden, you had people who were used to things happening a certain way wake up the next day and just discover the fundamental theories that they had based their lives upon were now no longer true. And the biggest indicator of that was kind of the peg. You know, somebody who was my age, who was born in 1990, doesn't know anything except the peg. So to wake up one day and realize that your salary, instead of being worth $1,500 is now all of a sudden worth $1,300 or $1,200. And as time moved on, it's becoming worth even less than that. That really spurred people to panic. In the midst of this panic, a massive explosion rocked Beirut, Lebanon's largest city. A stockpile of ammonium nitrate at Beirut's port exploded, damaging tens of thousands of homes and killing over 200 people. It was one of the biggest non-nuclear explosions in history. The tragedy made an already bad economic situation worse. First off, the explosion destroyed some of the liveliest neighborhoods of the city. It destroyed the artistic center of Beirut, the Bohemian district, the district you would come stay in if you visited from abroad. And that's on the cultural aspect of things. But also it meant that the country's biggest port was destroyed. So that meant that, you know, the cost of shipping to and from Lebanon just went up. It led to the resignation of the cabinet at the time. The cabinet collapsed because of political infighting. And now, a year later, we still don't have a cabinet to replace it. Since the explosion, the economy has continued to spiral. Today, on the black market, one dollar doesn't cost 1,500 lira like it did in the days of the peg. It costs almost 21,000 lira. Lebanon's central bank hasn't been able to get hyperinflation under control. And as for the PEG's architect, Riyad Saleme, prosecutors in Switzerland and France are now investigating him for possible money laundering and embezzlement, which he denies. He still leads the central bank. 
how does Lebanon get out of this? The technical solutions are there. And the solutions are essentially just, uh, you know, reforming public finances and restructuring the Lebanon's banking sector, and especially restructuring the central bank, whose uh, balance sheet is negative right now. Does that seem like it'll happen, though, especially when there's not really a government in place? As it stands now, nothing seems to point out that the political elite will institute the deep reforms that are needed to arrest the collapse of the Lebanese currency. And it doesn't seem like they're going to do the reforms needed to unlock aid from the West and from institutions like the IMF and the World Bank. And what that translates on the ground means more hyperinflation, means more people going hungry, means even that, uh, you know, middle class, upper middle class, wealthy segments of society struggling to just make ends meet. Getting gas is a struggle, getting uh, food is a struggle. So, so people's expectations have been narrowed to their very basic needs which are electricity, water, medicine, and just trying to secure these needs. That's all for today, Tuesday, August 10th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Jared Malson. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.